This is the Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Yeah, welcome along, one and all. Welcome along to the Enter Sad Men Podcast, episode 73. Um, good to have you company. My name's Steve. Uh, I have the pleasure of the company, as always, of my chums, Mark and Richard. The three of us poised um, to review, rate, and rank three more albums, which at some point over the next hour or so we will commit deposit to our hallowed hall of fame um the enter sad men hall of fame a league table of rock and metal excellence from yesteryear which we just keep on adding to um it's what the show is all about three more tonight as i say and you can you can see the hall of fame in all its denim and leather clad glory on our website entersadmen.co.uk indeed there's loads of lists on there and there are lots of other stuff about us lots to look about read about info about how to find us because uh, well we're everywhere and um, wherever you get your podcast you'll find us so this is episode 73 as i say three more albums to be added over the next hour or so and what are they i hear you ask well then um yeah mark so the theme this week was death, and you don't get much more metal than that, do you? But that must have um, that must have given you a few to be tempted by, who you resisted. Talk us through your thought process. What did you settle on? Well, yeah. I, well, why did I ever put death into the <laughs> list of themes? Oh no, you had to. It's, this is metal. <laughs> I know. I was thinking you. Were, I th- I thought we were all going to go in a completely different direction yeah. to the direction we went in. I, I didn't actually go through much of a process at all because when I put that theme into the list, I already had my thoughts <laughs> in mind. Yeah. Um, so I have come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Which find a general's death penalty. This, I'm holding the copy of the album that I bought when it was released in 1982. This is virtually untouched, Richard. You know how I look <laughs> <Yeah>. after myself. <laughs> this is virtually untouched well, because I didn't much apart, like it. Apart, I presume virtually untouched apart from parts of the cover. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. I, I, I should have put a protective sleeve on it, shouldn't I? Um, anyhow, um, so yeah, uh, so this is my copy, and uh, if I if I take it out and sleeve, you will see um, that I have got it. You haven't, not on picture disc. No, not picture disc. All oh, right, clear Whoa. vinyl, clear vinyl. Clear vinyl. Wow, yeah. wow, wow, yeah, yeah, clear yeah. vinyl. So, why did I buy this album? Well, there were two good reasons. <laughs> <in the front cover. laughs> This has got the, probably the most controversial album cover of uh, heavy metal in the early 80s. Those of us who were avid Sun readers uh, in the UK will know a page three girl called Joanne Latham. And she features in all her virtually new glory on the front cover, while the most unconvincing looking medieval people... <laughs> Uh, are poised over her with a knife. And then if you turn it over, it's an even better uh, picture on the uh, back cover, which is uh, Joanne Latham has been uh, ritually sacrificed on a gravestone. Uh, Legs akimbo and uh, possibly the worst fake blood you've ever seen all over her chest. And an ample chest it is too. So, yes, um, Birmingham's finest which find a general death penalty from 1982 was my pick. Very good, very good. I tell you what, let's 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 give our let's give our listeners a few minutes to go and go onto Google Images, and then we'll come back and we'll talk through uh, we'll talk no, through. No, that, they need to wait until the end of the show because we'll never get them back. <laughs> good stuff. Right, Richard, where do you go with this? Where did death take you? I, I had a good look around. I didn't want to go for the obvious. I thought, well, we've got to embrace this, haven't we? We've really got to embrace this. So. 
after yeah, a fair bit of research, I settled on a band which I was hoping at some point we'd be able to, to feature. Uh, and that band is Candlemass. And I thought, well, we'd better start with their debut. So uh, I've I've chosen yeah their first album, Epicus Doomicus Metallicus. So, so some doom metal. Doom! Doom metal! <laughs> Brilliant. We're all doomed. Um, fantastic. Right, well, and then to complete the trilogy... Um, well, see, I, I resisted the temptation to go for Megadeth because I thought you would, Richard, as our um, resident Megadeth head. But um, And killing is my business, of mm. course, would have mm. been a bit of a win double, wouldn't it? So, yeah, and no, I, I kind of went left field, a little bit um, little bit down a blind alley. I'm glad I went there and also went to Sweden for Entombed and their third album, Wolverine Blues. But well, we'll look forward to chatting about that later, much later, because it's the third of the three, and we all do, always do these things in chronological order. So, right, let's have a listen to... Uh, well, you, let's all have a listen to what the three of us have been listening to over the last couple of weeks, um, and then we shall come back and discuss them all. Look out for me, There you go, then. There you go. Not many tracks, incidentally, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I think there's 23 tracks, am I right, in the yep. show this evening, it's, which has got to be, um, it's like three EPs. Um, never mind <laughs> LPs. Um, but that's where we are with these three. Um, anyway, the first one, as I say, always do these things in, in chronological order. So, September 1982, and yeah, just, uh, just an album cover. And an album, I'm sure, for Mark to talk about Death Penalty, which finer general. Go on. <laughs> oh, boy. Like I said, I didn't play this very much when I bought it. I only bought it for the cover. I mean, you know, who wouldn't? I liked the, the band title track, which finds general on it, but the rest of it I didn't really warm to. So it kind of stayed in its sleeve for a long time. And this is a band that I sort of stumbled back across, actually, over the last 18 months while we've been doing the podcast. So this is an album that I have actually heard quite recently, and I actually really liked it. And I thought, well, that's great. So when it came up again, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do that. This is a band that I think it's fair to say you couldn't get more amateurish in terms of your approach to a career in music than Witchfinder General. From the album cover, from which is marvellous. It's fantastic. It's, it's yeah, you would never get away with it now, but back in the day, a fantastic cover for the album. But... The album cover really kind of sums up the whole band's approach. It was, it's kind of back of a fag packet, heavy metal. And I love them for it. 
actually. I really do. They're a band that started off in the metal heartland of the West Midlands in Stourbridge. Phil Cope, who's the kind of the band leader, very inspired by Black Sabbath and Tony Iommi, contemporary of Brian Tatler. They both learned the guitar from the same person. Witchfinder General began in 1974 as a school band, went through all of the usual school breakups, uh, eventually became Witchfinder General on the suggestion of their vocalist, Z Parks, who Phil Cope, the guitarist in the band, describes as a former school, a former kid he knew at school who always used to hang around him and was quite happy to be the band's, the roadie for whatever band he was in at the time and did, you know, all of the sound mixing for the shows, the school shows they did. But eventually they coalesce into Witchfinder General and we'll, we'll come on to the kind of the litany of disasters that, um, that kind of, uh, that kind of befell the band uh they essentially they were recording act for two years and two years only um the third album they'd written went into the studio and it never got released and by his own admission phil cope says they they never took it seriously and i think they always probably believed that they weren't very good musicians and on the surface of it they're not very good musicians but that's actually part of the charm of the album opening album sleeve notes but yes, so this is Death Penalty. It was released on September the 5th, 1982. Have you two had a look at how long it took them to record it, by the way? Yeah? No? No. Uh, okay. It was recorded on April the 11th and April the 12th. <laughs> 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 and I think that pretty much sums up what this band uh, is all about. So yeah, sorry, no, April the 10th and 11th, not the 11th and 12th, not that it matters. Released on heavy metal records, which, um, I mean, this is about a, a, an offshoot of the Revolver brand, but they were set up presciently to uh, essentially to sign as much heavy metal talent as they could. And this album is for those who are geeky about such things. This is uh, heavy metal release HMR eight, so it's the eighth piece of product that Heavy Metal Records released. Uh, it's a um, very nice and compact thirty minutes, produced by a guy called Peter Hinton, who is also credited by the band as having produced Saxon's debut LP, which I think John Verity <laughs> might um, take issue with. I imagine that Peter Hinton was actually a sound engineer or a mixer, uh, did the mixing on on that. Um, Phil Cope and Z Parks say that uh, the guy who actually is credited with mixing Death Penalty, Robin George, actually did most of the production work and that Hinton was more interested in playing pool than he was in getting the tracks down onto tape. Uh, it was recorded at Metro Sound Studios in Mansbury, UK. They had already released, and again, in double quick time, I mean hours, we're not talking even days for this, their EP Soviet Invasion, which got them some airplay um, and some attention in Kerrang, actually. Malcolm Doan wrote a very complimentary piece about them in Kerrang. Uh, it was followed in 1983 by Friends of Hell, in which they thought, well, Death Penalty, the cover to Death Penalty was so good, was got so much attention, that obviously the, the approach to take was to put as many tits on the front <laughs> of that one as they possibly could. And then to mix the sort of the, the sort of the medieval theme with a 20th century police fan and police. I have no idea what was going on there. Um, anyway, the band, the band, Z Parks on vocals, Phil Cope on lead guitar, Graham Ditchfield on drums and a bloke called Wolfie Trope on bass. Um, now, the fact was they didn't have a bass player. <laughs> 
So Phil Cope, whose alter ego was Wolfie Trope, and who was actually a bass player and was learning to play lead guitar, took on both roles. Now, for some reason, they they wanted to be seen as a four-piece. So Wolfie Trope took on the bass. And in order to appear as a as a four-piece on the cover of the album, they roped in their fixer. And by fixer, I mean not the bloke who got the drugs. He fixed stuff for them, like vans and and sound equipment. And his name was Craig Rockersmith, known as Rocky. And he was absolutely delighted to be involved in the photo shoot. And why wouldn't you be? I would have been delighted to have been involved in that as well. It didn't chart anywhere in the world. Uh, I don't think it even charted in Birmingham. So it sales unknown but negligible. It is only seven tracks, three on side one, four on side two invisible hate free country death penalty no stayer witch finder general burning a sinner also known <laughs> affectionately as burning a singer and r.i.p and the one thing so just to be slightly serious about it, the one thing that i would say about this album which i have come to realize on listening to it an awful lot over the last week or two is that this is actually quite proggy i think i mean you two are the prog heads in the in the podcast but i kind of i got i felt this was quite proggy what did you think about it and had you heard it before i didn't know half of that stuff by the way there's a film in this band isn't there there's an absolute movie here the proggy bit all i would say is that good prog bands intend to do what they do i think they become proggy which find the general almost by accident you know they've just got so many ideas hammering around they've just chucked them all in together as a song and then thought you know rather than actually separate them out and turn them into a longer round. So that's where I am with this. You know, it's just unbelievable. You know, we sit here and pontificate all the time, don't we, about, um, you know, why bands make it and others don't, trying to figure out those kind of, you know, indefinable qualities that separate success from failure. With which, find the general, I am left in absolutely no doubt as to why they sank without trace. But, you know, that's not to say that death penalty has not been an absolute treat to listen to because it, it, it just has. You can't get past the album cover. I mean, it's just a marketing masterstroke, isn't it? And and, yes. and you mentioned the sun. I'm, I'm guessing. You know, I have done my research into uh, young Joanne Latham purely for professional purposes. Obviously, um, yes. Yeah, actually, nice lady, very nice lady. <laughs> you, you're right. You couldn't get away with it today, but it's just a stroke of genius because the, you know hundreds, hundreds of kids our age would have been you know thumbing through the W's down at our price. <laughs> <laughs> As it were, and you, you clock that, and you're buying it, and you don't give a shit what the album's like. You're buying it, and I think I'm probably speaking to someone who did just that. Um, so yeah, I, I get all of that, and, and therefore, uh, but you, you know, most people, as you pointed out, are very are pretty critical of this, aren't they? Almost scathing, even yeah. the band themselves, from what yes. I've read, have got precious little time for it. But it's just so engaging. I mean, it's shite on several levels, but so engaging in terms of customer engagement. It's so infectious in a good way. Um, I've really enjoyed it. And it's probably it's actually probably better than many people remember it. I, yeah, I, I, sure. I like it. I quite like it. I quite yeah, like it. I, and and I do as well. I, I, I absolutely do. Um, there's a there's a, a little announcement on the Witchfinder General website that says the bands have no immediate plans to reform or score. <laughs> <laughs> so so richard how did you how did you enjoy it it's been a it's been a treat absolutely sure. with all three of these albums i had to get into the zone a bit if you know what i mean and it and uh <laughs> and this took a few listens 
<laughs> before it clicked. One my one addition to the story about the cover was um, the fact that they did they, they shot it in uh, the graveyard of this old English church, but didn't actually ask the permission of the reverend. <laughs> I suppose if they if they had asked permission, you know, can we? Um, can we mock execute a uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. topless <laughs> lady uh, on one of your gravestones, sir? Uh, it, it, it... <laughs> well, not only that, but how inspired was their choice of church? They didn't go for St. Martin's or All Saints. No, they went They went for St. Mary the Blessed Virgin. <laughs> it, is a, it is a grower. It, 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 it's certainly grown on me as the, the, the more I've listened to it. Even if it was accidental, it certainly is... In terms of the you know the time that it was recorded in the early eighties, it is absolutely Norbum meets Black Sabbath. And um, to your point about yeah. Proggy, yeah, the, I mean it was it was a hell of a lot of ideas. There's some of the the songs, yeah, are, are quite complex in the various parts uh, that they've got. Some work better than others because of that. Some actually do feel they've got a decent structure. <laughs> others do just feel like they've thrown everything in in a, in a bin, stirred it around a bit. Um, but there's enough there that makes you smile. Uh, it, it's enjoyable. It's, it's been, a, in the end, a very enjoyable listen. Good. Well, look, let's give it a, um, a spin. And, and just well, I was going to say let's let's kind of take it to pieces, but I don't really want to do that. No. What I what I want to do is is celebrate kind of what it actually is, and what it actually is is a band that is deliberately and quite quite earnestly trying to reinvent doom metal for the early eighties to take what Black Sabbath had been doing in nineteen seventy and update it and reboot it, and it starts with a with a song called Invisible Hate. I mean, I think it's it's probably fair to say that, that the lyrics, uh, which largely written by Z Parks, apparently Phil Cope asked him to start writing lyrics when he was actually the band's roadie. I mean, are incredibly simplistic. And although they purport to deal with a diverse range of issues like politics and sex and drugs and what have you, it's all pretty kind of rudimentary year five stuff. But I tell you what, this has got some fantastic riffing in it. In fact, it's some fantastic riffing across the whole album. Richard, I'm sure you'll have something to say about the drums because they just sound like they're being, they're made out of cardboard. <laughs> yeah. um, you can hear the bass, you can hear the guitars. Phil Cope says that he hadn't quite learned how to play the guitars properly when they recorded this, which would seem to me to be something of a hindrance if you're looking for a career in music. But, you know, he does a good enough job to make it interesting. And there are all sorts of time changes in this, lots of sound gates and, yeah, it's experimental. I said to you, I think both of you, you need to get past the first track to really appreciate 
in inverted commas, the album. And the only reason I say that is not because this is bad, but because it's such a mind fuck when you first <laughs> yeah. put it on, isn't it? Yeah. That it's only when you get to tracks two onwards that you think, oh, okay, actually, this, this is what they are. And that may be why I had such a big problem with it when it came out. Uh, in terms of not getting into it, other than which finder general. So, yeah, what did you think? I'm glad you clarified your thought process on on Invisible Hate because I thought from your WhatsApp message that you didn't actually like it because I and I did and I wondered what you'd missed that I hadn't. But um, I like it no. because it's completely weird and it's just you, yeah. for, for the reasons you've mentioned. You know, it starts off you thinking you're going to get some sort of Southern rock Stourbridge style, don't you, with that guitar yeah. opening, and then drops into that nice riff. Some of Zeeb's silly squeals I can do without, but then it just goes a bit here, there, and everywhere, and that's what you're talking about the sort of progginess, I guess. Very yeah. little shape, but does drop back into that riff. I mean, it's not reinventing the rock wheel this is it or, or, or doing anything incredible but it is in its primitive little way it's very messy all over the place and as i said earlier it's like they've got riffs and, and ideas rolling around their heads rather than separate them into separate tracks they've just chucked it all into the blender and um said right that'll do for track one six minutes five invisible eight yeah i, I mean i've given a score of six and a half which i think on my scoring scale that's halfway between six above average and seven so i like it i like it <laughs> i thought you were gonna say for a moment i thought you were gonna say six and a half which is halfway between six and seven. <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to help <laughs> oh, i'll give the next one by the way seven which is halfway between six and eight <laughs> Oh, he said we can't create podcast gold. <laughs> Richard, invisible. I, I think it's a good start. I, I mean, it is full of riffs. There's so many, but I like I like the slow main one. I mean, there's that break in the middle that is so warpigs. There's no doubt that when it comes to playing slow, Ditchfield can't keep time. <laughs> but apart from that, um, I've quite enjoyed it. See, it's a shame you say that because Phil Cope refers to Graham Ditchfield as being a seriously good drummer. <laughs> Even today, even today, he uh, he maintains that. So, okay, well, that's good. So that's that's a, that's a good start. The boys have got off to a, a good start. Invisible Hate then gives way to a track called Free Country, which is just basically a song about drugs. Um, I don't think I don't think we need to be. <laughs> I don't think we need to be any more esoteric or academic about it than that, really. Well, they weren't, were they? No, they weren't. Um, in fact, I mean, some of the some of the lyrics are. I mean, it's almost like they've taken every drug they can think of yeah. and then tried to find a rhyme yeah. for it. Um, you know, so yes, it's uh, it's got a lovely, I think, oh, a lovely hooky chorus. Yeah. I really kind of, I love yeah. the faster pace. Yeah. Um, but Aussie like vocals. I, I love yeah. the fact that yeah, they, yeah, so they mention all of these drugs, but they draw the line at heroin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer, apparently. <laughs> um, but only because it rhymes with drummer. But it's, it's got a fat. I mean, it's got a heavy, heavy riff on it behind this sort of very melodic and very catchy chorus. I, I absolutely love. Um, free country I really do um, and for me what I've discovered with this album is I like the charm of it I like the fact that it is quite amateurish and I don't you know uh, if, if Phil Cope ever listens to this he might think that I'm being derogatory I'm not actually I think this is a very young band at a very young point in their career <laughs> well actually they were very near the end of their career when they recorded it but it's a young band with you know, who, who are just setting out on what they think is going to be a career in heavy metal music 
music, trying to be the next Black Sabbath. But and it is charming; it's utterly charming. Yeah. And this track, I think, is a really good example of that. Yeah, um, I don't I, think um, I, I, Mark. I don't think Phil Coke would, would would think you were being derogatory. You, you must have all read the same interview that I did when he was asked if you could do it all again. What would you do differently? He said, <laughs> "Definitely, I'd join another group." Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I'd say about Free Country is actually the, the ending. It's got a really nice little solo in that fade out and it fades out and it fades out well. It shouldn't finish. Yeah. It fades out nicely. So, yeah, there's some there's some good bits around. So we're, we're almost I mean, we're five and a half minutes away from the end of side <laughs> one already, um, which comes with the title track, which is um, Death Penalty, obviously. I mean, the, the notable thing about the uh, I don't know whether you read this as well. The notable thing about this track is that there is a guitar solo at the end of the, the album that was supposed to stand alone. But Z Parks, who was very new to the band, and <laughs> didn't realise that there was a guitar solo that was supposed to just be a lead break. So he sang over it and they didn't have time to go back and, and re-record it. So the solo here at the end, which really works actually as a kind of a background to his vocal, I think. And yeah, you guys can skip through to the end of it to hear it for yourselves in context. But I think it actually really works. It's quite a nice little solo at the end of it. It's not as catchy as the first two, um, but it's doomy and it's got loads of character in it. Um, I think side two is better than side one, personally, but you may disagree. <laughs> More sad than Sabbath, death penalty, isn't it? It's brilliantly yeah. doomy. It's um, I love it. But you, 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 you t- if they remastered this, reproduced it, re everythinged it, you know, it, it could, you know, get rid of the cock ups. It, it could sound brilliant, couldn't it? It really could. Yeah. There's, there's, there's such a there's such a template for something really decent here. This is a great track. I really like it. It's a mean track. Phil Cope plays a mean guitar and also a mean bass. I will say that about him. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean Wolfie? <laughs> Wolfie, yeah. <laughs> What I would say is Z Parks cannot sing slowy bits, shouldn't go near no. them. I mean, he can't sing no. full stop, but I'm not holding that against him, per se, because a lot of rock singers can't. But he definitely shouldn't be allowed anywhere near slow stuff because he <laughs> fucking murders it. And one of the questions that I was, one of the hypothetical questions is, with more time in the studio, I mean, they only had two weeks to be friends of hell, so it wasn't like the, this record company was investing lots of money in them. But, you know, with more time, with a decent producer, yeah, but if you put 20... 21st century production on this, I think you'd have a hell of an album. It'd be better, yeah. Yeah. Let it. <laughs> no, I think the potential, it, with let's assume that they've learned how to play their instruments. <laughs> the big first and, step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and they've and they've got a singer who can hit those notes. They mm. I suppose what I'm really saying is they've got some really good songs here. Mm-hmm. but they collectively don't have the ability no. to deliver and execute them yeah. in the way that those songs deserve. I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So we turn it over. Um, and what we come to next, um, I mean, if you thought the cover was misogynistic, then no stayer <laughs> is, is about as misogynistic as you get. Um, because this is about shagging a bird and then going and then walking away the next day. When Zeb is asked if he'll be her man, he says, "I'm no stayer." I quite like no stayer. It's yeah, I, I, yeah lyric lyrics aside, I think musically, um, it's good fun. There's there's not really a lot that you could. There's no real sort of unpacking of this album musically, is there? Because you're going to end up a bit like we did with Spider, talking about the same stuff 
for yeah. seven tracks. But there's some really, I think, some interesting stuff. There's a, a pretty competent guitar solo that you know goes on in it, and it takes an age to get going. That's the that's the biggest problem with the, with the, the song, I think. But it's got a real Lemmy kind of bass riff to it. This has got, a, I, I quite like the bass riff in this. But this was one for me that was more stuck together than arranged. Would you agree, Steve? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I quite like it. This, they, 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 the, they suddenly turn into Saxon about midway through. It's a slightly substandard Saxon, admittedly, but it gets into a right proper gallop. Just what was the start all about? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't know. It just takes forever to get going. I, I do think that watching this lot down the pub somewhere, if they could have found a basis to make up the numbers, would have been an absolute blast. I bet I bet it was a great night out at wherever the red light. Yeah, and they, and they really enjoyed, yeah, and they really enjoyed, um, they really enjoyed their nights out, these boys. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's, that Saxon moment happens at about one minute 40 that's into right. the track yeah. and um, and that's when the track really starts yes. to come alive yeah so it becomes um, a classic Wobbum riff and you kind of feel got a bit reassured with it with that don't you yeah yeah and you're absolutely right Richard that that that, that that's exactly why it sounds stuck together because I think it was I think it was like well we've got we've got this piece of music we've we've got the studio <laughs> let's put it somewhere. Yeah, and we've only got it for four, yeah, and we've only got it for forty-eight hours for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The track that I did warm to when I first bought it um, is track five, Witchfinder General. Again, another really catchy chorus. It was the chorus that did it for me. What is it? Forty years ago, isn't it now? But yeah, it's um, simplistic. Probably doesn't begin to describe the lyrics in this. It, and this is about the Witchfinder General, who uh, I think we can assume is Matthew Hopkins, the eighteenth century self-appointed finder of witches for the Cromwellian government. You know, you said that Z Park shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a slow song. Well, I think we, I think we hear all of that on this track. Um, but it doesn't stop me absolutely loving it. I, no. I really do really like this yeah. track. This yeah, it's track. a track of the album for me. The vocal production mm. reminded me a bit of Angel Witch. Not the vocals, the vocal production. There's sort of a charging Judas Priest type bit that's been thrown in for good measure as well. It's got a good gallop, and the changes in tempo, and it being back into slow and heavy. I really enjoy this track. Really enjoy this track. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a good song. And yeah, Zeeb. <laughs> Zeeb's okay on this, isn't he? Whatever happened to Zeeb Parks, by the way? I don't know. Hasn't even vanished um, off the face of the earth, I think. All I do know about Zeeb Parks is he's not imminently intending to reform with Witchfinder General, yeah. uh, which is probably a blessing for all of us. Be interested to see what they said like now. Anyway, uh, track six, penultimate track on the album, Burning a Singer or Burning <laughs> a Sinner, uh, to give it its um, its proper title. Yeah, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about it. It's, it's three and a half minutes of pretty much the same sort of stuff that we've had for the previous five tracks. I think this is an album that, that as it goes towards the end, I think it's already given up at this point. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's sort of crawling over the line, isn't it? And out of the door of the studio. Well, so presumably, this was recorded this had been on uh, knocking around for a while didn't it yeah um and i think it was parks who called it diabolical i don't know in what context yes. but um i like it i really like it it's the choral harmonies yeah, yeah. i wasn't yeah, expecting me neither. those me neither. <laughs> <laughs> turn into a pop group <laughs> it's brilliant That's true actually yeah that is it's true brilliant. it's like Sab- it's like something sabbath did 10 years before but i i tell you what yeah. i think it's a great song yeah, i got i got a ton of sabbath coming through on this i, I know yeah. Yeah, i love the riff the um the guitar solos messy but overall it's it's all right yeah good well it's obviously holding up its end um more for you than it it probably is for me um i think i find 
um, Zeeb's vocal slightly irritating, actually. I think that's probably why I don't like it very much. Anyway, the uh, the album signs out with a four-minute uh, song called R.I.P. I haven't got a lot to add to this that I haven't already, I haven't already said, to be honest. I mean, I'm yeah struggling now to find anything new to say about the, the album because they're now just recycling the stuff that they put at the beginning of it it's it's charming enough isn't it it's and um you know it brings it in at around 30 minutes which is probably a blessed relief to everyone <laughs> if you're not if you're not commenting on rip then that means you're not commenting on one of the most ham-fisted segues you'll have ever hear in music there's a little middle bit which is just an absolute cut and paste. I mean, it's so funny. And, and the way they come back out of it is every bit as clunky. It's just priceless. It's a, it's a, it's a, bit, it's a wee bit all over the place, if I'm honest. But then, you know, welcome to the world of Witchfinder General. It's the, it's the weak link of the album. They could have, I was going to say they could have ended it as six tracks. Can you believe it? <laughs> but, but they could have. Well, I mean, one thing that is worth saying about R.I.P., of course, is uh, it's got a fair decent amount of cowbell and, yes, uh, and it does score it does score fairly highly on hey, cowbell.com wow w- would you like wow, wow, to wow. know the score so <laughs> yes. rip gets an ultimate cowbell score of 3.81039 which which isn't bad wow. isn't no. well how does that where does that put it on the well i, I think uh, i think uh, don't fear the reapers at sort of 4.2 you know, so but but it's um but it's been okay. yeah, but it's it's, it's, uh, it's a higher score than some of the other uh, tracks we've featured in the past, like Uriah Heap and things. So it's uh, it's not bad. It's not done bad. Mm. Three point eight, three point eight, somewhere between three and four, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so there you go. That's that 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 is which finds channel. I've I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. I have to say, I genuinely have. I've genuinely enjoyed all of the, the albums that we've listened to for this episode, but. Um, but I particularly enjoyed that one. Um, let's have some highs and lows. Um, Richard, start with you. Okay. Yeah, so my high, as I said uh, earlier, is uh, Witchfinder General. And my low, my low, I mean, there, there, there are a few that are down there. I'll, I, I'm not that keen on No Stayer, to be honest. Uh, so I'll I'll give I'll give it to that. But there, there, there are a few that are sort of down at that kind of level. Okay. Steve? Um, it's the last two tracks for me, Burning a Singer, Burning a Sinner, High, and um, R.I.P. Low. Well, RIP is my low and Witchfinder General is my high. So there you go. It's not going to trouble the top of the list. I don't think it's going to trouble the top 100 in the list. But it has been bloody good fun. It's given me a smile in a week where I've got COVID. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy with my week uh, of listening to that. Thank you very much. Zeb, Phil, and Graham, because um, you know you've given us all a bloody good laugh uh, in this episode and over the week. And uh, yeah, Witchfinder General, they deserve their place on the list, I would say. But it's time to move on. We fast forward by only four years, although musically it could be an epoch, and we get to 1986 and Candlemas, Epicus Dumicus Metallicus, Richard. Yes, Candlemas. So formed by bassist Leaf. Edling in uh, around uh, 1984, who appeared to have a, sort of a real single-minded vision mission to write their heaviest and most epic songs uh, that he could 
possibly think about and i guess go a, a bit against the grain um i mean this was in you know, mid 1980s so we had the, the sleaze and thrash and sex and partying and excess and and everything else and the idea of a band playing ridiculously slow and ridiculously heavy um really did uh, go a, a, against all that but uh, this is what he wanted to do they released a number of demos early on trying to get a record deal and uh, their third demo in the end led to a deal with French label, a small French label called Black Dragon, and gave they gave Candlemas a one record deal and a budget of one thousand eight hundred dollars. So, nevertheless, they uh, they entered the studio and uh, entered it on uh, in uh, uh, February uh, nineteen eighty six. Uh, and uh, to, to record this album we'll come back to it uh, some of the stories but the studio had no heating was in the bowels of some old building and so uh, they froze to death which i think probably added to the mood of the album opening album sleeve notes it was, yeah, it was re- recorded February, uh, released in uh, June uh, 1986. And oh, have I said the title yet? I said it earlier. So, the, yeah, the title of their debut album, Epicus Doomicus Metallicus. Uh, sort of a faux Latin play for epic doom metal. And uh, they appear to be. Um, would be interested in anyone else's views, but uh, they are, are credited with being the inventors of this real heavy doom genre. As yeah, so it was released on Black Dragon, produced by Candlemas and uh, a guy called Rania Valkvist. Uh, it was recorded in Thunderload Studios in Stockholm in Sweden. It was succeeded by their second album, Nightfall, which uh, I'm sure will feature at some point uh, on the pod in future. Uh, and in terms of personnel, well, as I said, it was, uh, the band was formed and led by the bass player Leif Edling. He brought in Matt Bjorkman on uh, guitar and uh, Matt Ekstrom on drums and they had a few guest musicians i mean so candlemas at the time were just a trio but rather than play other instruments and sing and make up names they actually got some other musicians in uh to uh to produce uh, to to create this album and they uh got in a guy called johan langvist on vocals uh he did just last the one album uh, eventually i think i can't remember how long, how long it was 30 odd years later then then he he, he did become once again the the lead singer they also brought in a guy called Klaas Bergval on lead guitar to do a number of the solos and another guy called Christian Weberid uh, on a, to do a few bits and pieces on guitar and the services of a lady called Silla Svensson who sang backing vocals on the final track as with Witchfinder General, no evidence whatsoever of this selling that much in the UK, US or around the world. But it has become somewhat of a loss of a lost classic, I suppose, Look, looking back, uh, whatever it is now, 30 plus years. Track wise, um, only six, only six tracks, three on each side, uh, but they're some of them they're longer some considerably longer uh, than death penalty uh, so uh, the album runs to around uh, 43 or so minutes in length well th- this is again has really really grown on me uh, and um, I'm so so glad I chose it it does require a certain state of mind and being being ready for this kind of very very slow very heavy very operatic kind of metal but i think it's i think it's genius i think it's brilliant so how did you guys get on with it i'm afraid i didn't find it genius at all i'm not fussed about it in the slightest 
I'm really sorry. It's like Sabbath on beta blockers. <laughs> I remember the first, I'm, I tell you what, because it has got cult status. You're absolutely right. And as soon as I got Spotify many, many years ago, I, I didn't buy it, but I knew the sort of, you know, fanfare that had gone with Candlemas and in particular this album. It, it was pretty much as soon as I got Spotify, I, I sought it out and, and boy. Yeah, no, it, I, I like my, me- I mean, you, you two know me. I like my metal generally done at pace. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Um, or, or, or when bands do slow it down, just slow it down occasionally as a counterpoint to the rest of it. But a whole album at this pace, yeah, no, it's just, it's just, it's just too much for me. I mean, they do show a bit more imagination pace wise on side two, perhaps than side one, but side one, I just find, it's, it's depressing, you know, it's depressing, it genuinely is. There's, I mean, there's lots of, you know, fair musicality on here and there's interesting things going on, but so what? The, the overall sonic landscape for me is just a <laughs> bit too ponderous. And the issue is these songs are long, so you get some ideas, some good ideas, and there's some great riffs, some good riffs, but they just can't sustain it over the course of six, seven, eight, nine minutes or whatever it is, and they vanish up, you know, several hundred fucking cul-de-sacs. It's a heavier yes in that regard, which is about the kindest oh. thing. I'm saying, but, um, I'm, so no, 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 I'm, no, no. That, that was that was cheeky. That was a cheap shot. It, it is, as I say, it is held up as a major piece of work in the field in which they operate. And you're right; they are seen as a kind of um, pioneer of the movement. This is a must-have for any self-respecting doom black, you know, goth metalhead, whatever you want to call them. But after half an hour of this, Rich, I'm crying out. <laughs> awesome. awesome I mean, it is, yeah, just an I mean, injection it, it, of. Oh, just some pace. Just uh, put some pace in. There's enough beef about yeah. this to enjoy, so, not, not uh, enough no, speed. Okay. For no, that, I, I guess that's fair enough for you. You spend so much of your enjoyable life at the other end of this spectrum, don't you? It is true. I, I've realised when we listen to this, I I prefer it slower, and I'm happy to have it slow, slow. And mm-hmm. uh, I much prefer a vocalist who can actually sing, <laughs> which is the other reason I like it. Well, well, we'll come to that as well because he's he's because he's an interesting singer yeah, as yeah, well, isn't real he? I mean, not, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, re- loaf and meat rearrange these two words, and then and you know, it, it's it is quite theatrical, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I it, it's, it's just not for me. It's not, and I have you know, I've not scored it badly because it's heavy, and I love my music heavy. Um, but it's just not, it's just yeah. not fast okay. enough for me. Mark, I'm not sure what Steve was expecting. <laughs> you know, it's apparently it's depressing. But it's got track titles like Solitude, <laughs> Demon's Gate, Black Stone Wielder, <laughs> yeah. Under the Oak, and A Sorcerer's Pledge. Yeah. I mean, this is not One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can pretty much. I, I think uh, we pretty knew what was knew pretty much what was what was coming. Um, I've really enjoyed this. Actually, I have to say, it's not a band that I had listened to. It's really interesting, isn't it, that it didn't chart, it didn't sell particularly well, and yet it is one of those albums whose name you just know. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you've heard Candlemas before, it doesn't matter whether you like them or not, Epicus Dumicus Metallicus is synonymous with heavy metal. You know, forget the subgenres, it is just synonymous with this this music. So I had, I think I probably dallied a little with Candlemas just on the basis of ought I to like it, and I kind of on first listen years ago, took the view that, no, I didn't much like that, thank you very much, so I didn't really need to go and discover any more of it. So when you kind of rocked up with it a couple of weeks back, I was slightly nervous because, yeah, in my head I'm going, oh, it's Candlemas, I don't like them. But then the, the, the whole process over the last nearly two years of doing this has been 
to just put aside your prejudices and just go into this stuff with an open mind. So that's what I did. And I've really enjoyed most of it. There are some tracks that I find myself drifting, you know, in terms of my my concentration. I think it is it, it's almost like a, a contradiction. You have to you have to give yeah, your full attention to it, but that's quite yeah. wearying. That is quite wearying. And that's where, Steve, I get what you're saying about it's relentlessly doomy and heavy and and tiring. But the the lighter stuff in it, because it's it's shades of black, isn't it? Um so the so the stuff nearer the grey. Um <laughs> the fucking lighter that, stuff. What's that the bit where you turn it over? <laughs> 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 the ballad you know um yeah the, the the lighter stuff i really enjoyed it i think there is that marrying of of a vocal performance that is delivered by somebody who can actually sing which i don't think is the same for entombed much as i've enjoyed that in a different way so yeah, i had a good time with it actually and there are a couple of tracks on there under the oak particularly mm. um that you know i would i would definitely put on in fact i have put on playlists so yeah um i think that was a good pick all right great okay well let's let's uh, give it a listen Tracks all together, three on each side. Sidewind, Solitude, Demon's Gate and Crystal Ball. Uh, yeah, so it opens with Solitude and uh, Johan Langquist's mournful vocals open the, the track. I mean, yeah, he he, um, he performed these vocals despite not hearing any of the music the band had performed beforehand. He was uh, persuaded um, by, by the drummer and basically arrived at the studio, did two or three days and then buggered off back to his family. So actually, I mean, it's, I think it's quite a big vocal performance. A minute or so in, we get to then the first of these deep guitar riffs, big toms, and an earthquake of a bass riff. And I think I mean this is one of, this is one of the heaviest songs I've ever heard. But then you have got these operatic vocals sort of <laughs> soaring over the top. I've decided we're going to call this track Osmium because apparently it's the heaviest metal that there is. Solitude, very dark, very heavy. Good production. I love Solitude. I think it's a, such a different and such a timeless uh, song, actually. I'd agree with that. The opening lyric is, I'm sitting here alone in darkness, waiting to be free. Lonely and forlorn, I am crying. I long for my time to come. Death means just life. Please let me die in solitude. I don't know what you mean, depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. What was I thinking? <laughs> I, I'm with you, Richard. I, I love this. I think this, uh, in, in fact, I think this is the best. Well, I, th- I think Under the Oak is probably my, the highlight, but we'll get to that. Um, but this is this pushes it a close second. I, I can do without the sort of the so, slightly high pitched mm. stuff in it vocally. That seems to be uncomfortably beyond his vocal register. But it's, I think there's loads of interesting stuff going on here. It's sort of the, this sort of almost orchestral, almost acoustic kind of moments in it where it just the track just sits down and then it comes back in with that sort of very heavy riff. And it is a really, really heavy riff. And not a riff in the conventional 
Tony Iommi Neon Knights riff either. This is a, a plodding, doomy riff. And exactly what you would expect from them, I guess. Yep, like this. Yeah, me too. It's kind of paying homage, isn't it, to the origins of sort of Black Sabbath, some of that really doomy Sabbath, just making it more heavy, more theatrical. And as soon as you hear Lankvist sing, you know that this is going to be quite a journey with him. It's very Phantom of the Opera, not Iron Maiden, yeah. as in proper mm. Phantom of the Opera, you know, that kind of dark, foreboding story feel to it. Definition of heavy metal, isn't it? It's just heavy and it's metal and it's and it thumps and it's proper. And, it, and, it, and I love this as a starter. And now I just cannot wait for the step up in pace. <laughs> So so you're saying, Steve, that this is kind of like musical theatre. Yeah, well, that's what I said earlier. Loaf and, and meat. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I much prefer this, don't get me wrong, but um, <laughs> clearly. Well, just, just clarifying, just clarifying. <laughs> but there is that about it, isn't there? It is very dramatic. Yeah. Yes, it is dramatic. Yeah, it's a performance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Steve is you know, expecting the uh, step up in uh, tempo, and of course he doesn't get it because uh, the uh, Demon's Gate follows <laughs> Solitude, more uh, slow, heavy. I mean, we've got quite a groovy drum beat at times, some atmospheric things since, but uh, yeah, some big ringing power chords, double bass drum. Guitar wise, they had real difficulty because uh, while Stockholm was full of fantastic guitarists at the time you know they were into acdc and ufo and uh Nwabum and and uh, they just didn't want to be associated <laughs> with the band that played ridiculously <laughs> slow ridiculously heavy metal they managed to find at least you know someone in uh, in class Bergwald to do the lead guitar but again after they'd finished the recording he decided uh, yeah that was enough thank you very much maybe maybe it weighed them all down <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I, I find uh, Demon's Gate pretty scary, actually. Perhaps another reason I love this uh, album is that I think the production on the drums, particularly on this uh, track, is is epic. Well, you talked about a bit proggy. I mean, in its own way, I mean, it's, it's quite varied. It's quite layered. It's, uh, I, I think, quite well arranged, Demon's Gate. What about you two? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the step up in pace I wanted, as, as you know. It's, I mean, it's just, this is anti-thrash, isn't it? There's, um, it's so mournful. There's a great guitar solo when it edling wanted this to open the album didn't he can you imagine fuck's sake bloody hell solitude was was wearing but this is um this just bores me a bit if i'm honest it's, it's nine minutes long i you know there's, there's not enough on it to um to energize me you, you're right you're right you do have to, i've had a long time to work on this and, and i keep going back to it. crumbs i'm just looking for you know nice things to say about <laughs> okay. it it's a struggle i mean it's a struggle you'd... it really is it really is it's just this yeah. sea of and you doom. have to be in the mood you have to be in the mood yeah, you do yeah, yeah. oh you have to you have to be yeah, yeah, and that's what that's what I find so fascinating about this whole story. Where when was this? Eighty yeah, six? Did you say eighty seven? Yeah. Just think where rock's going in eighty six. Even Anthrax are getting in the charts. Everyone wants to be commercial, and um, somewhere in fucking Scandinavia, there's a band retreating under a stone on a dark winter's night, and just think, "No, <laughs> fuck that. We just want to get really miserable." Inspired, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> on a cold winter's night. It is, yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, I listen. I don't mind the idea at all. It's, it, it, anyway, Demon's Gate. Just cut it off at four minutes twelve. Well, that's that's pretty much kind of in keeping, really, isn't it? Because anyone who's Listen to episodes 47 and 48, or 48 and 49, Steve, knows that you don't do stories. You know? <laughs> That's true. So, so you were never going to like this. Oh, God, this was that the Crimson Idol? Yeah, Crimson <laughs> Idol, followed by Meatloaf. I mean, I, I, I like this, completely get what Steve is talking about, because musically it mm. wears me down, but 
I love the story. And I, like you, Rich, I find it really quite disturbing because the, the imagery that they create is mm. pretty dark, pretty unpleasant. And they're dealing with much, much the same subject matter as Witchfinder General, but their lyrics are slightly more sophisticated, <laughs> aren't they? You know, we're talking about witchcraft and sinners and all of the stuff that, that you know, Phil and Zeb and Graham were on about, you know, back in 82, but it's slightly different slightly different kind of you know ambience to it than than that no i like i i, I do like i like the story i like the the lyricism of it like steve i think yeah nine minutes <laughs> is probably too much okay and uh the side finishes with crystal ball uh which i mean carries on in the same vein steve will be pleased <laughs> to hear uh, i mean for me this is the weakest of the tracks on side one I feel it carries on too much in the same vein as Demon's Gate, actually. So, Steve, I'm I'm kind of with you that I, I like. I'm quite happy with Demon's Gate at the, the length that it is. I, I think it's a, it's a as Mark says tells a great story. Crystal Ball, it is a bit more of the same. It's not as good. I quite like the Widdly guitar solo in it. There's a nice chugging riff after about two and a half minutes. There is a fast bit. There is a faster bit in Crystal Ball, but then the, the main riff comes back. And, and and even I, by the end of Crystal Ball, I'm feeling quite weighed down, I must say. <laughs> there is a fast bit, Richard. You're right. And it's 17 minutes into the album. I've clocked it. And it's um, that's where we are with that bit you're referring to in Crystal Ball, which, you know, redeems the track as far as I'm concerned. It's it's, um, you know, that little guitar break into a bass line, into a different pace riff, thank the Lord. Powers along, bass drums, presume there's more than one, kick in at speed. And there's the kind of pace I'm craving, you know? It doesn't last, of course. They, they drift back out of it, but it's better than Demon's Gate. Yeah, I think that's true as well. I prefer this, probably because it's got that change of pace. Mm-hmm. The rest of it around it is is a bit more of the same. And yeah, it is quite mm-hmm. relentless. And so far, so good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested still at this point. Okay, well, let's turn the record over and uh, we'll start side two. As I said earlier, I've been recording. They, they, they recorded it in these studios in, in Stockholm. In the building, the studio was three floors beneath the ground uh, in in the middle of this subway at the <laughs> University of Stockholm. They decided they wanted to work there because uh, they'd heard a demo that Ingvi Malmsteen had done that was was uh, recorded there. They said, you know, you've, you have no idea how cold it was. Totally freezing. The radiators didn't work, which made it even worse. You had to see what it looked like. We're all dressed in fur coats, woolen gloves, long johns. Trying to play the guitar with cold hands is almost impossible. I know that we're a doom band, but this was suffering way beyond the call of duty. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so Blackstone Wielder then. Uh, so double bass drum, a bit of a chug at the start. I mean, a bit of a groove to the riff, I think. A bit of a groovy, heavy riff, this one. Uh, I like the beat. Uh, again, you've got Langvis soaring vocals. I, I feel it loses it a little bit in the middle, but I do like the back end. It was a really good solo. And, and again, back into that groovy, heavy riff. Quite happy with the start to side two. Yep, me too. Mm. Like this. I like Blackstone Wielder, and I like it at about the four and a half minute mark, particularly for all the reasons you just said it's got a lovely wailing guitar sound and you boys know how much I like a wailing guitar solo yeah. Um, so yeah I, I really like that looking at the lyrics of it is this some sort of dark take on the birth of Christ story mm, don't know it's about it's about the Blackstone wielders travelling to Bethlehem to light the way for the one who is born and that the stone is then used for evil I have no idea what the references are but it sounds like it could have been retitled Black Christmas mm. I like Blackstone wielder I I think it's um yeah this is 
is this is how all tracks on this album should be. You know, great, great riffs, donking riff, and then that you said that change of pace, Richard, or euphemism, for descending into a pit of misery. <laughs> I mean, it's like they all said to themselves, "What well, we've got to put the brakes on." Um, and um, but they, de- but as you say, they do reemerge from it back into that main riff, and it, which in many ways saves this track. That middle bit, fuck me, it almost yes, stops. It yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, track five then is uh, is under the oak. Well, um, surprise, surprise! It's oh, what a riff! I know, it's, oh, what um, a riff! I mean, it's like um, with a squealy guitar over the top. It's a bit like a slowed down heavier Scorpions. Did you get that? It's... Yes, <laughs> I can't speak, so you carry on. <laughs> And almost, uh, Mark, uh, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Almost the vocals had almost like some Pink Floydy phrasing. So you've got Pink Floyd phrasing vocals, killer scorpions, and, and and it's super heavy. And another fantastic solo. I like this. Yeah, there is. It does get very messy, I think, towards the end. Um, but that solo, that riff, they are redeeming features, given that they're a heavy metal band. You know, I'm a sucker for a riff and a solo, and they, they tick both those boxes. I, I still think it's a messy track, which is a shame, because that star is, you know, it's 9 out of 10 potential, in it? But so he doesn't get it. Oh, oh that riff, that riff. Fantastic. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Favourite track on the album, definitely. The, the more this album goes on, the more he starts to sound like Michael Paulson. Mm. Mm-hmm. to me okay. yeah, lots of yeah, okay. alright we'll come on to the last track in a minute but as, as we said earlier I mean, this didn't sell well at the time and in fact it, I mean, it, it, it sold so poorly in its initial stages that uh, they were dropped from Black Dragon and they were hammered everywhere in terms of uh, the various press and the bigger magazines they just no one really really got it but then people did start to get it and by the end of the year it had uh, begun to sell in some pretty impressive quantities Black Dragon uh, were forced into a second pressing then a third then a fourth tried to get the band back but by then they'd uh, they'd moved on and uh, they went with uh, another label for, for their second release but yeah I think I mean it's steadily grown and grown and grown in, in popularity now as this cult status and the last track then is A Sorcerer's Pledge quite an epic to finish a nice short song the kind of kind of songs short song that Steve likes three main parts uh, sort of acoustic guitars and vocal operatic to start with Bill slowly for the first couple of minutes then some real power in the second movement and then this really slow bass drum driven chug uh, in in the third and then some haunting angelic vocals from uh, Silla Svensson uh, as the whole song fades out. Not as strong for me as others on the album but still uh, a very interesting finish and yeah I'm beginning to end I've really enjoyed this album. Um, I've ordered it on vinyl. I'm going to I'm gonna use <laughs> it to test the bass of any future speakers I plan to buy. <laughs> oh, I think this is a great out actually I really do I really like this as an out song Steve's sitting there shaking his head um, no I really do I, I I love the kind of the three acts that it goes through I think it's interesting and it's got all of that uh, you know those keyboards rising and falling through it no I'm I'm well on board with this it's interesting yeah no you, you, there's nothing um, hats off to Leif Edling for his vision I'll say that I mean there's a real sense of sort of artistry and theatre and imagination he's the chief songwriter I'm guessing yeah. Richard yeah. but the boys are talent no two ways about it and there's loads of interesting ideas in A Sorcerer's Pledge but then you know in Inevitably, there are going to be loads of interesting ideas in the song that lasts eight minutes, 20, and should have been cut short at about three minutes, 50. Lots of it just doesn't work. And I just find myself shouting into my headphones, just fucking get on with it. Um, and, that's, yeah. and that's where I've been with this I album, mean, the, the fact honest. is, it's got the same number of notes as the songs that you like. Uh, cause we're, we're... <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, we could have ripped through this in 10 minutes. Exodus, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, all right, very good. Uh, well, Steve, then, give us your high and your low. Yeah, okay, so I've got a couple, so I've got Blackstone, Wielder, and Solitude at the same, so it'd be one of those. Let's say Solitude, um, and yeah, Demon's Gate is the low by okay. some distance. Yeah, uh, Demon's Gate is probably my low uh, as well, um, but it's under the oak, under the oak. Every day of the week. Okay, and I mean, I've not scored many or any of these low at all. <laughs> but Crystal Ball got my uh, my lowest score, and I don't think I can beat Solitude. An amazing, amazing song. I mean, quite a, I think one of those game-changing uh, tracks, frankly. Right, so, and we better move on to the third, which uh, is uh, Steve's choice. And Entombed and Wolverine Blues from 1993, Steve. Yes, and finally, to a band to appreciate on this night, on this episode of episodes, the importance of track length. Ten tracks, nothing longer than 4.30, seven of the ten at under three and a half. Crack on, head down, rock like fuck, get out of here, job done. I almost want to award them an extra point for thinking of their customer base. Opening album sleeve notes. This is Entombed and Wolverine Blues. Entombed's third album, a Swedish band and the second Swedish band, uh, formed from the ashes of Nihilist in, well, they were formed as Nihilist in 87. I think they kind of, by about 1990, the release of their first album, they were Entombed. Um, And this came out on October the 4th, 1993 on the um, the Earache label British indie part of the Columbia Empire Nottingham based company that was um, championing thrash and extreme metal um, and they found their way onto that 35 minutes 10 seconds long you do the maths bear in mind when this is this is the early 90s when everyone's fucking doing CDs with endless remixes galore at the back end of these things and these boys are saying no we can do 10 tracks in 35 minutes I commend them for it. Um, the producer was a guy called Thomas Skogsberg, and they used his studios, Sunlight Studios, um, in Stockholm, in Sweden. Previous album, uh, it was very different, called Clandestine in 1991. It was the only album that didn't feature the lead singer on this, Lars Goran Petrov, and it is a very different album, and it kind of split opinions between the fans. Um, and the next album after it, it's a crazy fucking name, but it's, it's the Roman numerals for 666, kind of, I think, um, which came out in 1997. The band Lars Goran Petrov, as I say, on both vocals, Uffi Sederland and Alex Hellid were the guitarists, Lars Rosenberg on bass and Nicky Anderson the drummer. I think he was the vocalist on the previous album. Chart position, I doubt it. Anywhere if I'm honest. Ten tracks on each, uh, five on each side. I Master, Rotten Soil, Wolverine Blues, Demon and Contempt and then on side two, Full of Hell, Blood Song, Hollow Man, Heavens Die and Out of Hand. Opening thoughts are just what a treat. <laughs> just what a treat. You know, you can, you can you can overcomplicate this shit, and we often do. And I've seen Entombed as a band, and this album specifically dubbed as any number of things. We'll all have seen this death and roll sobriquet that's been added to it, death groove, industrial thrash, any number of different things. And you see all these things written, you know, production-wise about sort of the guitar buzzsaw sounds and techniques and this, that, and the other. And we'll have a look at all that in a bit. But if you tear away all the overthinking and all the production stuff, that most of which leaves me cold, just stick the fucking thing on. And I've just sat back and thought, yeah, you know what that is a really classy piece of heavy metal nothing more nothing less not too fast not too slow um there are some serious riffs some serious riffs on this thing some you know some clever segues some bridges some lessons you know a singer who won't be everyone's cup of tea um in our friend Lars Goran um but I've got no problem with him his growling style for me is spot on um for what Entombed is trying to do um in the, in the sort of you know this world of death metal so yeah you know I've really really enjoyed listening to just some no nonsense meaty heavy metal done well um, you know people 
people can call it what they want. I call it classy. Yeah, what say you two? Certainly heavy, certainly some fantastic riffery. It is in, uh, very much in the, the Pantera kind of mould, so I like it. And I'm really glad that you chose their third album and not their first or their second. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talk about growling on this. Well, that's nothing compared to uh, the, <laughs> the the vomiting, I think, that's on the, uh, on the first couple of albums. Um, so, uh, again... Listen to this for the first time, then giving those two a listen, realizing, oh, thank God he picked this one. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of got in the zone. Again, some parallels with Witchfinder General, some of the arrangements work better than others. But I think as a band, that they, they work incredibly well. The two guitarists work very, very well together. And um, and I've loved the riffs and I've loved the power. Yeah. And yeah, this was a risk after because Left Hand Path and Clandestine were both, you know, Entombed were held in really seriously high esteem on the backs of those yeah. two pieces of work you know they, they were they were on top of the death metal world and could have just repeated it but i think they took a real risk with this sort of change in sound clandestine was quite evocative in a different way but less groovy and i like the grooviness of this you're getting that pantera buzz i'm getting a lot of anthrax in here as well there's, there's a kind of grooviness about it that they were keen to explore yeah. and i'm really glad yeah. they did. i like them both i like clandestine but i love this one I, I, I love i love um, the fact that a load of their fans disowned them because they'd sort of sold out and gone all yeah. light on them <laughs> I know. I know. Isn't that priceless? Yeah, just too. It's just too weedy. Too weedy. Mark, do you like it? Do I like it? That's an interesting word, isn't it? Do I like it? I'm not sure like is the right word. I, I admire it. I think it's I think it's it's very clever. I like Richard. I struggle with the emetic vocal kind of uh, yeah. performance really but you're not so a five I, finger death punch don't you which uh, yeah, it's not yeah but he, he's a bit like Corey taylor isn't he um ivan he's mm. he's got that sort of um that very melodic uh, kind of in his in his locker he's got that so he, he can sing he can mm. sing and mm. we don't get any of that on this really no um no. not not in the same way so but having said that this is an album of 10 tracks that come in collectively at 35 minutes so mm-hmm. it's not like you have to sit and listen to nine minutes and 10 seconds like you know can you imagine if this if he was singing for candle mass and you're fucking dreadful <laughs> yeah. um i found it interesting and enjoyable mm-hmm. would i put it on a playlist no well none of it couple in the middle maybe yeah yeah well as i say i, I love it I, I i do think it's really good i think it's a really good piece of work i think it's an improvement on what they did before um and i'm glad they gave it to the world they were an important band in the uh, Swedish death metal story. Can you believe there's a Swedish death metal story? Yeah, but I was going to say, what is it about the Scandos and their death, death metal? Yeah, I, don't, I, yeah. I don't know why. why. Why does it start there anyway? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to know the answer. No, I don't, but they should be rightly proud. I mean, yeah, they're cold and dark. For, for a bit of the year, I think. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if, and if it's not cold enough and dark enough, Richard, they move yes. three floors down to get even colder, right? <laughs> <laughs>
Brilliant. Right. Um, so side one, yeah, as I say, five tracks. Um, and it starts, it's kind of kind of messy start, actually, into Iron Master. It's um, into a blinding riff, and it's only three minutes, 20 long, but it seems to adopt to quite a few different styles within it. Some hardcore speed, Metallica, Pantera, chugging, first kind of sign of that. Um, there's a blinding solo. And then it kind of follows up with Rotten Soil, which goes again. I'm lumping the two together because of track three, which is an absolute counterpoint to tracks one and two. And I think the boys will agree. So Iron Master and Rotten Soil, really rock solid both great starts a lot of Pantera charging and yeah a heavier Pantera Track one, some really good interplay. I mean, the, the, there's a fantastic heavy riff at the start that I wish had carried on. Uh, but I like the change for the chorus. Would yeah. you call it a chorus, I guess? And there's a, a <laughs> slowdown I quite like. Yeah, Rotten Soil, didn't like it so much. I, I like the break in the middle. Okay. The rest is yeah. a bit forgettable. Not a bad pair to open with. I like that chug on Rotten Soil from the off, I must admit. I think it's um, quite a change. I actually think it's an improvement on Iron Master, but Mark? I do actually quite like Rotten Soil. I think I... Think I almost prefer that actually to to Iron Master. To be honest, the first time you listen to this, I'm just trying to get my head around the vocals. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that that's that's where I was at. I actually prefer Rotten Soil because it's a little bit slower. Because I've heard what you've heard worse growlers. I mean, oh, sure, yes. Burton yeah, Bell, yeah, 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 yeah. Fear Factory. Yeah, 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 He is on the more melodic end of that spectrum, isn't he? I don't have a massive problem with his vocals. Yeah, I, I, I like the fact that it, it is really varied and interesting, though. It is yeah. stuff that stops and it goes and it yeah, rises, yeah. it falls. There's lots, lots, and lots going on. Certainly, it keeps you interested. But yeah, rotten soul for me of the two. But then you get the title track almost out of the blue. You get this absolute gem. Um, it's only two minutes sixteen seconds long, and what a dirty earthy chugger it is one of those great absolute bounce alongs which someone like pantera did so well and and the comparison is obvious in this but i think this is <laughs> genius i think it's a brilliant track but steve it's slower <laughs> it is it is yeah, I, I, I think this is great it's really really heavy it's got a great groove to it it's not only the vocals but they're really reminiscent of a dime bag Daryl type riff, yeah, yes. track of the album for me. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I like this. I like the riffs more than I like the vocals. If I could strip his voice out, I'd be having a whale of a time with this. <laughs> what we get then is the final two tracks of the album, a side one, which is Demon, which is fine, which is okay. It's just angry and it's gritty and it's great fun um, and it's some proper no-nonsense beef. I have no problem with it at all. But it's to me, it's just a prelude to one of my tracks of the album, which is Contempt, which is a step up in class from Demon. Just atmosphere menace, the first half of the song, the great bouncy riff again, several layers, never messy, but it's the second half of the track, which you didn't see coming little melodic almost melodic segue into um a really wonderful guitar chorus made all the more wonderful by the rhythm section underpinning it's a brilliant out on contempt i think it's a great song and it's a great mm. way to close side one you talk about i think a pair of absolute peaches mm. here I, I was i was fearful of demon when yeah, it first okay. started and then 40 seconds in yeah. it has the mother father brother and sister of all the <laughs> fucking riffs and suddenly i'm like really interested and then they continue that into contempt and yes contempt is the better of the two tracks um but those are my two th- these are the two mm-hmm. highlights of the album for me absolutely love them the riffery particularly on on contempt it's so catchy but there are there's only so much of this kind of vocal style one can take i think great thing about contempt mm-hmm. is the the riffs are really allowed to come through and uh so it's mm-hmm. a good yeah it's a good closer to Simon. powerful guitarist the, the, the twin guitars of settlement and helid anyway we have turned it over to side two now side two you can split into two parts quite simply which is a decent start 
start, a foot of hell. It's a stop start belt around the head, basically. It's heavy. You know, it's great. It's catchy. And um, Blood Song, I love the bass lines from Lars Rosenberg, who we've not really mentioned, um, certainly towards the end of it. First into a kind of anthrax bop, and secondly into some really sort of theatrical stuff from Lars Goran, which is actually a bit silly. But anyway, it's fine. It's the back three, and we'll come to the back three, which are fucking off the scale. So let's just get Full of Hell and Blood Song out of the way first. See, this this for me is a continuation of Demon and Contempt. I, yeah, I, yeah. Comparatively, yeah. I can quite happily live without the first three tracks. It's a really strong finish. All Side right, two is now, a great. Side it's two now is a fun. sprint through, isn't it, to the end? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Um, I completely get this. I'm mm. totally on board. Because for me, the... the Hell and Blood Song are the weakest part of the album. Reaches a peak with Wolverine Blues on side one. Finishes strongly with Holloman and Heaven's Dying out of hand. Didn't catch me at all with these first two on side two. I'm with you on Blood Song. That's my that's my weak link of the album. But 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 it just it just paves the way. It just paves the way for the extraordinary Hollow Man. Sorry, Mark. It just does. No, no, no. no you're right. You're absolutely right. Oh my fucking god. I mean, I just adore this. If all death metal was it, if all heavy metal was this good, that. Fucking riff. But it's also the songwriting and the arranging because technically there's lots going on here. Pace is perfect. The heaviness. The finish? Are you kidding me? This I mean the album finishes like an absolute bulldozer, as I say, but but the way they sew up Hol- Hollow Man in particular is just off the scale. I think it's better structured. We haven't mentioned uh Nick Anderson too much I, I think good drumming he's a better drummer than a singer yeah. Yeah. he gets it just right I think in terms of what, in terms of his playing in terms of the fills you don't feel he's dominating but he's always there some great fills in uh, in Hollow Man he almost gets a bit groovy doesn't it in that second half before that mad yes. finish Oh, Ho- Hollow Man yeah. oh my god I mean I, I can't add any more kind of insight or intelligence to the conversation because I don't know half the time what I'm talking about but oh my god <laughs> That's good enough. But God, we're not done with God because heavens die. I, I get as much anthrax as, as I do Pantera with this line. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's a tempo change on heavens die after about 43 seconds, roughly, from this kind of wonderfully doomy, gloomy riff when they add a hint of groove to it. And it suddenly, yeah, it's Pantera, but it's also anthrax for me. But I, I know I sound like a stuck record, but again, that riff it's another corker yeah i could listen to these riffs all day by this stage petrov's vocals are starting to wear hard even on me (laughs) thank god it's only 35 minutes eh? by the time we get to this part of the album i've got the vocals i'm kind of yeah i'm there and um i absolutely love the the whole of side two but i think i've worked out that this reminds me quite a bit of five finger death punch because of that melody in the actual songwriting like you, Rich, I could sit and listen to these riffs for forever and a day. They are just absolutely colossal. It yeah. is produced very, very well, this album. No, no two ways about that. And yeah, we sign off with Out of Hand, which contains one of the simplest but best phrased choruses you would hear anyone spit out. Jesus Christ, Lord of Flies, in disguise, fuck. But it's the, it's the phrasing and it's just, um, it's just it's just spot on. You know, LGP will have his critics, of course he will. Um, he, there's no subtlety about this man whatsoever, but I, he gets it right. For me, it's, it's the optimum vocal style for this kind of music. Anyway, another wonderful tempo change at the end of Out of Hand, more sledgehammer drumming from, from Anderson. And it thunders to the finish. 
it's a great finish. It's, it's an album you have to be in the mood for again, a bit yeah. like Candle Mass, though, isn't it? It's an okay finish out of hand to me. I mean, it's a uh, it's a fairly traditional pile driver of an of an end to an album, isn't it? But uh, there are better songs yeah. on the album for me. Okay, fair enough. Well, go on then. Tell me what, what yeah, one's your yeah, favourite. My favourite is the title track, uh, Wolverine Blues. In terms of a low, I think it'll probably yeah, it'll go to Blood Song. Okay, Mark. Well, this is really interesting because if you'd asked me at the beginning of this conversation, I would have said Contempt was my highlight, but I'm kind of torn between Contempt and Hollow Man. I think I'll stick with Contempt, but they're they're very close. You can get a piece of paper to see them. Um, to me, the, the the weakest part of the album was the first track, so okay. I'm master. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, Hollow Man is my high, um, and I'm with Richard on the low, which is Blood Song. Uh, so there you have it, and Toon's third album, Wolverine Blues. Is it Wolverine? Wolverine? Who knows? Yeah, so there you go. Three albums for this episode, which was called Creeping Death, and still is, because we haven't finished yet, because we now have to mark these albums track by track, and uh, we'll see where they wind up in the Hall of Fame. Reviews complete initializing rating process okay so we started off with witchfinder general's death penalty from 1982 it did better actually than i thought it was going to do if i'm being absolutely honest we're all pretty much in the same ballpark steve you gave it a 6.9 richard gave it a seven dead and i gave it a 7.25 for an average album score of 7.0619 Nine zero, Richard Candlemass. Yeah, not quite as consistent uh, as Witchfinder General, uh, <laughs> as you, as you would have discovered, no doubt, from listening to the earlier commentary. Yeah, Steve felt it was too fast uh, and uh, just gave it a six point four two. Mark uh, quite liked it, quite liked it, quite liked. Actually, gave it a seven point nine one, and uh, unsurprisingly, I liked it most of all, and I gave it an eight point two five. And that gave Epicus Dumicus Metallicus an overall score of 7.53. Steve, how did Entombed do? Mm, unsurprisingly, role reversal in terms of the scores for Wolverine Blues from 1993. Um you liked it least of all, gave it 6.9, Mark in the middle again 7.7 and I liked it most of all with a score of 7.8 for an overall score, decent enough, of uh, 7.46333. So let's go and see where these three have now wound up in, uh, in our burgeoning Hall of Fame. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. So here we are once again in our Hall of Fame. 219 albums now uh, in the hall. Propping up uh, the table at 219 is Nuclear Assault. Well, we actually have to climb a reasonable amount uh, up into the 170s uh, for Death Penalty, uh, by which finder general they uh, find themselves at number 171. Just below, open up and say, ah, boy, poison. And just above, can you believe it, just above Ozzy Osbourne's Diary of a Madman. Climb up a fair bit higher, uh, closing in on the top 100 for Wolverine Blues by Entombed. Uh, They are at number 114. And interestingly sandwiched between News of the World by Queen and Double Eclipse by Hardline. Now, there's some variety for you, listeners. And we are just into the top 100 with Candlemass's Epicus Dimicus Metallicus. Uh, they enter the Hall of Fame at number 99. And they're a place above Lightning Strikes by Loudness and a place below Down to Earth by Rainbow. So, yeah, one entry into the top 100, gents, um, and uh, a couple into the into the 200. And, I mean, Mark, let's come to you first. So, Death 
death penalty actually all things considering did pretty well yeah it did i mean i suspect that's it's quirky charm that's got it there rather than um necessarily what you uh, find in the grooves of the record but having said that yeah we all agreed it was good fun and in the end isn't that why we listen to music is to to have fun so i'd have had entombed and candle match other way around obviously but what i would say about death penalty is that if 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 you if we'd have slotted in another line for how much we'd have enjoyed the album we'd, we'd have added a point each for the fun it gave us you know it's not a great album but we've had an absolute blast listening to it. And that's, you know, ultimately what an album should do, shouldn't it? So, yeah. Um, and as Richard yeah. said earlier, all three of these have been kind of growers. So, uh, yeah, good week. Good episode. Right. Okay. Well, I, I suppose we, what we now need to do is um, tell each other what we're doing next for the next episode. For those of you that uh, are interested in such things, we spun uh, the Tico Torres Tombola of topics and themes. And uh, we had to remind ourselves, didn't we? This, once we'd reminded ourselves that it was inventions, Richard, being the professor on the podcast, introduced the <laughs> <some> rules. <laughs> Do you, do you want to do you want to outline the rules? Richard? Well, I, well, well. When I was looking, I felt that it it had to be invented. It couldn't just be something that um, appeared as some kind of tool over the course of history, like an axe or a sword or or whatever. That it actually had to be. Uh, I, I thought listed on Wikipedia as an invention with an inventor and a date, but hell knows if we've got anywhere close to that. That's what I did. Let's okay. just say no. Let's just say no. We haven't. <laughs> I was, I was going to say once Richard has sucked all the fun out. Of things, what did we come up with? <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So what? Where did your? Where did your? Well, my rules uh, led me, and and there'll be there'll be shouts of "Hang on a minute! You're just playing what you want." But the, the, uh, the, the, it. It led me to um, to an invention that uh, originally appeared around 1889. Hemispheres, hemispheres were uh, not an invention. And um, <laughs> yes. it was initially known as the Braun tube or Brown tube, um, which is a cathode ray tube with beam-forming plates and a magnetic field uh, that then became known as the oscilloscope. And an oscilloscope appears on the front cover... <laughs> of an album (laughs) by Survivor called Vital Signs and that is my choice Steve no, I didn't. I didn't give it that much thought. I thought. I thought of an album. I thought of an album and figured out, and then and then and then locked onto Wikipedia. To see if I could justify it. So, in fairness, there are a number of claims to the date of the invention of the uh, of the tool I've gone for. Um, it appears as early as 1475 in Francesco di Giorgio Martini's treatise Trattoria di Architettura, <laughs> and it has been claimed by some to date back 5,000 years in the creation of Cranagh's at Ockbank and Loch Tay in Scotland 5,000 years ago. I am talking about, of course, the one and only pile driver. That's my invention. (laughs) Which enables us to play the one and only Stay Ugly. ugly. (laughs) Who's there? Who's the dog? (laughs) Right, okay. Uh, so, somewhere between 1552 <laughs> and 1519, somewhere between there, a, a bloke who could draw a little bit came up with a drawing of what uh, would later become, and, and the gentleman I'm talking about is Leonardo da Vinci, obviously. Um, 
he drew this concept that he had kind of dreamed up in his head. And uh, it was what we would now describe as a chain, uh, the link to a chain. So we are going to welcome to the podcast for the first time. Yay! Dockens breaking the chain. So there we go. That's it. Dockin fucking palm driver. <laughs> Survivor. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, no, a again, a measure of <laughs> the most eclectic rock and metal podcast you yes. will find everywhere, particularly coming after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, well, um, we've all got some listening to do, that's for sure. So, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we've had a blast. Obviously, um, just, I mean, if you just take the backstory to Witchfinder General, it's, we've had a blast. We didn't need to do anything else. We had the biggest laugh ever. Uh, anyway, we will be back at some point once we have got our heads around Survivor, Pile Driver, and Dokken. And uh, glad of having your company. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service. 